Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Um, today is a, is a very exciting day because I have a huge mentor of, in my life uh, with us today. Uh, with us today is Barbara Aerosmith Young. Um, Barbara really needs no introduction, but I'll try to do my best. <laughs> um, Barbara is the the founder of a world renowned um, uh, cognitive uh, remediation program called the Aerosmith and BrainX program or programs. She's the founder of the Aerosmith Schools. Um, she has uh, really helped to innovate the world of special education in a way that is. Um, rooted in solutions, um, not not strategies, and I'm sure we'll dig a little bit into uh, what that means and how it's transformed many, not just people's lives, but but families and communities, um, not just around North America, but now around the world. Um, so Barbara is a, is is what we call in, in the field a world leading neuroplastician. And we're going to dig into what that actually means in terms of uh, influencing and changing behaviors of individuals. So, um, Barbara, thank you for joining us today. And do, do you feel like there's anything I missed in, in, in the bio there? I'm sure I did. <laughs> no, I think you covered it, Mark, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. Um, so, so, Barbara, you have been in this space for a very, very long time your whole life really in the world of, of brain health, of uh, learning dysfunction, and, and really on a quest uh, to find solutions um, to what is a really uh, enormous uh, challenge in education. For those that are listening, the people that, that, that will be listening will probably be uh, professionals, uh, individuals that might have, you know, brain injury or, or concussion or, or looking to find solutions to brain health problems. If you were to kind of focus on one main message, what would that message be um, for those that are listening in the world of brain health that, that you could share with them? I think my main message would be the brain's capacity for incredible change. This concept of neuroplasticity, it's not really a concept actually, is, is a principle that's built into our brains. Um, and to me, it's incredibly promising and optimistic. Uh, you know, I grew up, you know, in the 50s and 60s. And at that point, the brain was believed to be fixed. I call it the pre-neuroplastic paradigm. And Norman Doidge, uh, who wrote The Brain That Changes Itself, called it the dark ages of plasticity. And at that time, the belief was your brain was fixed. Basically, the brain you're born with is the brain that you die with. And so if there's any condition related to your brain, you were told you have to live within your limitations. And, and in the late 50s in grade one, I was identified as having a mental block because at that time, learning difficulty or learning disabilities didn't even exist. And I feel like I was given a life sentence in grade one. It was just, you know, accept that all of your schooling is going to be a struggle. You're not going to amount to much um, because the belief was your brain is, is fixed. So to me, what's incredibly promising is we know that's not true. We know our brain is plastic across our lifespan. We know that we can grow new neurons, so neurogenesis. We know that we can strengthen connectivity. We can um, 
you know, grow dendrites on our neurons, which makes more synaptic connections, so better neurotransmission. We can increase neurotransmitters, glia cells, um, enlarged capillaries, so more blood flowing to the brain. I mean, this incredible, amazing organ that filters you know, our understanding and perceptions of ourselves, of other people and of our world and how we relate to that is modifiable. So to me, the message is yes, our brain shapes who we are. And actually we can shape our brain to modify and change our capacity to learn and engage in the world. And so lots of conditions like, you know, it's being applied, you know, to chronic pain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, acquired brain injury, traumatic brain injury, learning difficulties, um, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. And as I said, it's so optimistic because things that we thought were immutable and unchangeable, actually we can transform. And in that transformation, we actually transform the reality of the individual that before would be trapped in that condition. Oh, I love it. I mean, just just pause that and rewind it and, and listen to it again, because that is what absolutely inspires me about you and your work is your, I mean, all due respect, you, you know, to those that, that study and, and do great work in labs looking at, um, you know, the, the uh, possibilities um, for change and for uh, potential. Uh, but something that I really admire so greatly about you and you've really helped to teach me um, is, is to apply those principles, right? To apply those principles into practice. I mean, Barbara is someone who's been doing this work, not just looking at the research and we'll maybe dig in a little bit into that to those two fields of research that really inspired you and you brought them together as an innovator to actually help um, the next generation of people that had as you called or they called earlier in the day, you know, learning blocks. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely remarkable and admirable. And I, I encourage people that are listening, really, um, if you have something that you're passionate about and you want to try to solve, really think deeply about it and then think about what is the current solution. And you know, as you say so well, and I'll let you, you say that, what your kind of father told you. Um, mm -hmm. I love that story because I think it holds such value in today where there's going to be a lot of different um, challenges that come out of this, this uh, you know, state the world's in right now. Mm -hmm. There's going to be opportunity for many people to learn from your journey of how you have um, created. So maybe if you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit about that because your your story is is one of of learning disability for sure and, and innovation, but it's also it's really about courage and um, strength and um, maybe would you mind just going back to a little bit about you know it, it, noting some of the problems that you saw in in kind of conventional education and how you led into this innovation. Sure. Well, it, this innovation was really a hunt for solution to my learning difficulties. Um, and I like, I like the term learning difficulty, which is used in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, here in North America, we call it a learning disability. And sometimes people call it a learning difference, but it truly is a difficulty. I don't like to think of it as a disability. 
and it is more than a difference. So I've, I've started to use that term learning difficulty. So that was, you know, the beginning of my schooling. Um, and actually, you know, in grade one, I actually got the strap. I mean, because I had that kind of punishment back there uh, because, you know, my teacher, and I have compassion for her, she didn't understand me, right? And why I couldn't do what the other children were doing, you know, why I wrote backwards, why I, you know, read everything in reverse, why if, you know, I was given uh, two numbers to add up, like 14 and 12, I'd add the two and the one and the four and the one, like, because there was no logic in my world. I just did things at random and the world was, was random. So certainly right from the very beginning of my schooling, things were incredibly challenging. And my mother was an educator. And so she was determined after she, you know, heard that her daughter wasn't going to amount to much, that she was going to yeah. teach her how to read and how to write and how to do basic numeracy. So at lunch, I would come home in grade one and I would have flashcards. After school, there would be flashcards. And eventually, I'm very grateful to my mother, I did learn how to read and to write, but it didn't address the underlying learning difficulty. And mm. one thing that my teacher did get right, uh, that prediction in grade one, was that all of my schooling was going to be a struggle. And it was. And very early on, I developed you know, negative self-image. I felt that I was stupid. I felt that I was bad. You know, Every day as I was walking to school, um, I didn't walk with a bounce in my step, like it was you know, dragging my feet because I knew what was going to await me at the other side of that classroom door was going to be struggle, frustration. Uh, and no matter how much my parents, you know, loved me and you know, said I was an amazing human being, my experience every single day, you know, five days a week was in that classroom where that wasn't true. You know, I could see other people doing things, you know, with relative ease that with the best will in the world were incredibly challenging for me. So I learned to kind of hide it and use my strengths because you know anybody with a learning difficulty also has some strengths. So I would memorize things, but, but not understand. And the thing that my father said to me that I hold dear to this day, he was a scientist and an inventor and had all sorts of patents. And he said, if there's a problem in the world and there's no solution, he said, it's your responsibility to find a solution. And then he said, if the rest of the world tells you you can't do it, he said, don't listen. He said, don't be limited by conventional wisdom. He said, this is how science goes forward. So here I was set on a quest, kind of, you know, like a hunt for the Holy Grail, no idea, because I was spatially challenged as well. And, and I didn't really understand things. So I kind of had this quest not knowing how on earth am I gonna do this, having no idea, um, but it was always there kind of like my, my North Star guiding mm -hmm. me, how do I find a solution? And certainly, you know, again, at that time, the, the belief was your brain is fixed. You know, there were the standard compensations. I developed my own compensations. Mm -hmm. you know, I, would, I would use images, I would do drawings in my notebook to try to understand language because it was as if my, uh, part of my brain that translates language into meaning wasn't working properly, right? So I tried to do drawings and diagrams to use my right hemisphere to support the difficulty in my left hemisphere. Uh, I used color coding. If you look at any of my notebooks from back there, like, you know, every color that was possible, I was using, again, to try to code meaning into more nonverbal um, modes. And but always with that message from my father. And for me, my life changed uh, in actually August of 1977. I remember it was a really humid day here in Toronto and somebody handed me a book, The Man with the Shattered World. And 
it was by Alexander Luria, the brilliant Russian neuropsychologist who was after World War II in Russia studying uh, soldiers who had very localized head wounds. They'd all come into this mm. hospital in Moscow. And he was one of the seminal thinkers in mapping function to the brain. I mean, still to this day, we owe a debt uh, to his research mm. and his clinical um, observations and writings. Mm. And in this book, it told the story of a Russian soldier who had a very localized head wound as a result of the war. And this soldier, Leo Pazizetsky, was writing in his journal, describing his challenges. And then Luria was explaining what was going on in his brain. And as I read this man's journal, and this was, you know, I'm now 20 years later, halfway around the world, I was writing exactly the same things in my journal. We both talked about living in a fog where meaning was ephemeral. It would just disappear. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't grasp onto meaning, how our world was uncertain and would shift under our feet. And so for me, this was my aha moment. My problem is my brain, right? Because before it was clear I had problems, but nobody could say, what is the source of the problem? And you know, if you're gonna find a solution, you kind of have to understand what is the nature of the problem that you're trying to solve. And so this was the first piece. And this is why I dedicate my book to Luria because I owe a life debt to that man. Like I would not be here on this hmm. planet today if somebody hadn't given me this book and if he hadn't written wow. it. Because I was, you know, I was now 26 years old desperate. I saw no future for myself because I thought nobody's ever going to hire me um, because I just don't understand what's going on around. I'm frightened of people because I'm afraid if they say something to me, I'm not going to understand what they're saying. I'm not going to know how to respond. Um, so this was um, my moment where I thought, okay, I'm not crazy. I mean, maybe other people think I am, but, but there's a real reason for my problem. And then what do I do about it? Well, that next piece was the research of Mark Rosenschweig at Berkeley, who was looking at this idea of neuroplasticity and he was working with rats and you know, professionals probably are very familiar with his work where he found that you put rats in a stimulating environment, um, they become better learners. They learned mazes more quickly, which is like a little rat intelligence test. And then when he looked at their brains, the brains had changed physiologically. So he concluded the stimulation of that enriched environment led to physiological and functional changes in the brain, which led to better learning. And he called that activity dependent plasticity because the plasticity was dependent on the activity that, that drove those changes in the brain. And I thought, okay, if rats have neuroplasticity, like kind of maybe humans have neuroplasticity. And I remember at that time I was studying at the University of Toronto and I went to my professors, I was studying my master's degree in school psychology and saying, I know what my problem is now. It's my brain, you know, like the, and, and there's neuroplasticity. So maybe I can change it. And they just looked at me. And to this day, I remember very clearly what they said. They said, first, learning difficulties have nothing to do with your brain. I'm not sure where they thought they were, but it wasn't your brain. <laughs> and then they said, and even if they do, your brain is fixed. So like, what's the point? And that little mm. voice of my father in my head, mm. said, don't listen, don't be limited by love it. system. And, and I was desperate. Like I wasn't doing this in you know, a research laboratory to, you know, hunt for some information. Mm. I was doing this to save my life. 
Um, so I figured, okay, what do I have to lose but time? And I couldn't tell time. I was 26 and I still couldn't read a watch because I couldn't connect the hour hand and the minute hand. Oh. Um, so I figured, you know, maybe it'll not work, but I have to try. And that's, you know, experimentation. Like, you know, you, you try and you mm -hmm. fail, you try again and, and you keep modifying things, you create hypotheses. And that's mm -hmm. what I did until I came to, you know, the first exercise that um, changed my brain. And, and I had to keep adding complexity, right? I'd get really fast. Mm -hmm. And then I had to make it more difficult because we know effortful processing is critical in driving neuroplastic change. I mean, if it's too easy, your brain doesn't engage. If it's too hard, your brain doesn't engage. So I had to keep, you know, upping the level of, of effort um, to, you know, drive that change in my brain. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, it was like the blinders came off. Like mm -hmm. I knew there was human neuroplasticity because there was a point that I got to in the exercise where for the first time in my life, I could listen to people in real time and understand what they were saying. Before I lived in what I called lag time. Like, you know, I couldn't be having this conversation with you today, Mark, um, before. Mm -hmm. I would listen to your question and memorize it because I had a good memory. I'd walk right. away and play it over in my mind and think, oh, I think that's what Mark said. But I mean, you right. hadn't waited for half an hour till I figured it out. And right. that, would, that was my process. Now I could listen to somebody. I could understand what they were saying. I could make an appropriate comment. I could have a conversation. For the first time in my life, I was part of human discourse. It was like I was walking on air. It was so oh, wonderful. You know, and then I could understand mathematics, which I only memorized before. Um, mm. You know, I could read a page and understand as I was reading it, whereas before I might read that page 20 times before I could kind of figure out what the author was talking about. It was so much more efficient, right? Like, <laughs> you know, because mm. I was living in real time. I could understand con artists because before, you know, part of, you know, you're being conned because you hear the logical inconsistencies in what people mm. are saying. For me, there was no logic, so there was no logical inconsistencies. I could understand right. jokes because I could get irony. Um, you know, it, it it was like that fog lifted, and I was part of the world. It was it wasn't but. just reading, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It was about being a full human being engaged in my world. And let me try like I had multiple learning mm -hmm. that was just one so then I went on to create other exercises for my other you know challenges in my brain and saw changes in those areas so then I thought this is pretty amazing, amazing. <laughs> and let me take it out into the world let me take it out into the world and help other people I didn't want to just keep it for myself and that's where this work you know Aerosmith and Brain X were born uh, out of you know, out of the wisdom of my father, the wisdom of Luria, the wisdom of Rosenschweig, and, you know, my kind of stubbornness and determination and perseverance to try to see if I could do this. I love it. Barbara, like, I could hear that all day. Um, and I think more people need to hear that story and how you told it, because it's so, it, it is, I mean, none of us know how incredibly challenging it must have been for you to be that courageous throughout that journey. But I, I like how you, you phrased it was a quest, you know, and, and in many, many ways it still is. Cause when we think about, and, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work closely, you know, with you and I have seen the legacy of your work in transforming so many lives and in, in individuals that I've had 
the privilege to work with and have opened up, you know, with, with your program, have opened up new possibilities that were unforeseen. They weren't even seen as possible before. And, you know, when we think about the greatest problems, you know, in this work, you know, um, in a couple of sentences, I think I know what they are, but would you mind just enlightening us? Cause I think you were just starting to potentially go there. <laughs> um, what would you see as maybe just, just some of the greatest problems in, in, in the generalized brain health work right now in practice, especially not necessarily in research, but, um, you know, what do you see as the most problematic? So I'd say um, there's still the challenge of a lot of the practices are coming out of the pre-neuroplastic paradigm, mm. you know, and, and not just in education and also in rehabilitation. Um, you know, I, I think back to, I uh, can't remember whether, whether it was 2013, whenever we went to a conference, uh, you and I went to a conference yeah. Yeah. Uh, with scientists from around the world uh, and it was all on uh, you know traumatic and acquired brain injury and really rehabilitation and certainly we knew in the education field there was you know that divide between you know compensation workarounds you know work with the strength to compensate for the weakness mm. but to hear that in the rehabilitation field um you know, I was just a little surprised and not that compensations don't have value. I would never say that because compensations helped me get through school. Absolutely. They, they were, were a huge benefit. However, at a cost of incredible energy and no matter the best compensation in the world isn't going to do the job of that cognitive function that is underperforming, right? It, it's at best a workaround. Um, so that, that I would say mm -hmm. is, you know, what I would see is yeah. both education and rehabilitation, the, the, even though people, if you ask them, will say, yes, our brain isn't fixed. I mean, people know that, but in terms of bringing that into practice and applying those principles, it, it isn't happening at the rate that I would like it to be, be happening. I mean, it's happening. Um, and I think you know, we hear a lot about, you know, the marriage of, you know, neuroscience and practice. Mm -hmm. And it's really nobody's fault. It's just there's a whole body of knowledge over here, you know, in one field, and there's a body of knowledge in another field. And it's how do we, you know, translate that science into a practical application. And, and I think it's happening. Um, and though there's still, and maybe it's, you know, human nature, there's resistance to change, you know, and I understand if, you know, I've been doing something in a certain way for most of my life, I might be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, concerned, you know, about, oh, there's another approach or another way here. Um, and I think, you know, that both can be beneficial because there might be, you know, some individuals will still need some compensations. However, to me, the power of the application of a neuroplastic approach is that we're seeing we can actually strengthen those underconnected areas in the brain. I mean, we're doing research. There's research mm -hmm. at ABI Wellness, we're mm -hmm. actually looking at what's going on in the brain. And there's research in my work, um, mm -hmm. looking at what's going in the, in, on in the brain of students with learning difficulties as they go through this program. And we're seeing a pattern where the brain is starting to normalize, as it were, those, those areas that are hyperconnected, that were you know, strengthening their connectivity to compensate for the, the 
the weakness um, are starting to relax because they don't have to work so hard. And the underconnected areas are starting to strengthen in their connectivity. Um, and to me, that's the most powerful. I mean, if we mm -hmm. can put back a strength that once was there for people with acquired brain injury, mm. uh, that then they don't have to compensate for that, that is, I think, should be our goal. And for students with learning difficulties, it's not um, it's giving them a strength where there wasn't a strength, right? Because it's not like they they had the strength and then they lost it as a mm. higher brain injury. Um, but it's it's a similar process, right? It's, it's you know you you take what's there and you enhance it and you strengthen it. So yeah, I would say that that's what I would would like. To yeah, I love it, see. and it's so needed. I mean, as I think about you know the rehabilitation world. You know, we think about the physical uh, rehabilitation paradigm, you know, if we transition and look over there, how much focus is there on actual function? Mm. Almost everything. And then we go to cognitive and, you know, um, I'm biased, but outside of your work and, and, and some others, but outside of your work, there's, there's a lot to be done there um, to improve the standard of care. And, and I feel so fortunate to be, you know, involved with with your work and, and our work together to help people to exhaust you know neuroplastic potential right and and i think it's i think it's it's such a it's such a wonderful thing you know that that you've created here that is um is really helping so many and and you know as we think about you know the the future of what you would like to see unfold in brain health you know again what what we if you had the crystal ball, Barbara, you know, and 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 you could make happen, you know, what you wanted to see happen, you know, what would that look like for you? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in terms of education, what I like to see is, you know, we go to school to learn. What do we learn with our brains? But really, our brain isn't in that education equation, right? Um, you know, not as a, an active partner. So I would like to see, you know, starting in grade one and at each grade thereafter, 30 minutes a day, students are doing a cognitive program. And, and we've done some uh, research uh, schools in Australia, in Canada, in the United States, and in Spain, uh, looking at that model and all children benefit, not just children with learning difficulties, but, you know, you, you strengthen cognitive functioning. It, has an impact across all children. Um, so to me, that that is part of my vision. And then those students that would struggle more with learning difficulties in the school, they'd have a cognitive classroom. So they'd have what I call the whole cohort, which is in grade one, you'd work on motor planning, grade two, you do visual memory. Uh, so each grade, there'd be a different cognitive function that's developmentally appropriate to that grade. And then the cognitive classroom would be for those students that need maybe one or two more um, cognitive functions to be addressed. So the students would go in and out as required, but over the course of their schooling, um, you know, all of those difficulties would be addressed. The students without difficulties would have enhancement and there'd be no stigma to having a learning difficulty yeah. because it's just normal. You go to school to learn, you learn with your brain, let's work our brain. Um, and it, I wrote that the last page of my book in 2012, that was my vision. And I thought, well, this is really bold. This will never, ever happen in my lifetime. And right now, I think we have six schools we're talking to that want to implement that in New Zealand, Australia, Colorado, Wonderful. You know, Madrid. Um, so I'm really, really 
excited. Sometimes I think, you know, you have to speak it out into the world and plant the seeds and who knows, like some will land on fallow ground, but some will land on ground where it will be nourished and, and developed. And then I would say, you know, in the, the rehabilitation world, the same kind of idea, let's, let's um, really look at this, you know, practical application of neuroplasticity to drive real significant change in the brains of these individuals, to then give them back what was taken away from them in, in you know, the traumatic event to the extent that it's possible. And certainly you're seeing that in, in your work. I think about, you know, Rand, who is actually a case study in the third edition of my book, you know, Mark kindly let me interview, you know, some of his, his uh, clients. And I mean, Rand was a high school teacher, right? Who was you know, in an accident. It was, you know, stolen car ran into him. Um, and in, in a second, his life, changed and he wasn't able to teach you know school was he was an elementary school teacher you know because you know his he had problems with you know focus of attention divided attention he you know um you know would be doing a task but he couldn't handle like he couldn't multitask and as a result of you know working through the cognitive program by the end of the year he was able to go back and and teach full time mm -hmm. i loved what he said about his students he said they all said that um you know, Mr. Weber went to brain camp, you know, <laughs> brain camp for the year. And, and I was back, like, it should just be normal. Like, it, it's, yes, our brain, yeah. if we can change, it, it just should be a normal part of the conversation. Uh, you know, the, you know, Mr. Weber's at brain camp and, and, um, and, yeah. the fact that, you know, he's back now, you know, able to multitask, able to, you know, move around the classroom, handle multiple demands, which he, he couldn't do, uh, you know, after the Wonderful. injury. No, I love that. I love that. And I'm, I'm all in on that future. And I'm, I'm sure our listeners uh, will be uh, 100% on board. Uh, what a wonderful place it will be, right? And, it, and, it's, and it's happening. You know, that's the exciting part. It is happening. Now, as we think about, I've seen your library. So you've got a lot of books. Um, and, you know, if we're to think maybe one to two books, that might be most influ influential to you. Uh, Barbara and I were talking earlier. I said, I think I know what they are. Um, but, um, you know, I'm wondering, could you pick one or, or two of the most influential books for you in your work? It's only one or two. Well, the man, <laughs> the, the man with the Shattered World by Alexander Luria, like that, 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 uh, you know, that yeah. changed my life and my future. And, uh, it, it, yeah, you know, you I often say to students like books can change your life, right? And that, mm -hmm. that book changed my life. Uh, and then one of his other books, Problems in Neurolinguistics, where he described in more detail some of the features of the difficulty that I had. Like he talked about how someone with that problem can never verify meaning. And that was so mm. profound because a lot of the challenges I had, you know, I've been um identified you know having some interesting psychiatric disorders which i didn't have but it looked like that because it was a cognitive mm -hmm. issue and I often um and that's what you know with norman Doidge, right he got interested in my work he's a research psychiatrist here in toronto uh, who wrote the brain that changes itself and the brain's way of healing and he saw some of his clients in psychiatric practice where he realized actually the problem isn't 
you know, psychiatric in a sense is actually cognitive. And, and so then we started dialoguing and he sent some of those individuals to me. Well, my problem was cognitive. It wasn't, you know, you know, psychiatric, but it was when I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, that, that's my world. Like I'm, I live in amygdala hell. That's how I described it. I was terrified all the time because imagine a world where there's no meaning, like there's no certainty mm. in anything. It's like the ground is constantly shifting under your feet. It's, it's like the, the um, you know, um, it's what drives anxiety, right? So I lived yeah. in a constant state of anxiety. So those two books um, mm. were really, really profound. And then, you know, my book, The Woman Who Changed mm -hmm. Her Brain, um, it, it, that was a labor of love, writing that book. It took me two years and lots and lots of interviews um, and lots and lots of reading. I probably read, I don't know, like 20,000 articles because, you know, my, my work, you know, started out of Luria's understanding and, you know, he died in 1978. So I figured I better do a lot of reading to make sure that, mm -hmm. You know, you know, a lot of the things that he said are still held as as valid and credible. And I found that they are. You know, there were, were a couple of things where maybe he identified as this area and not that area, but the function was true. Like the function that he mm -hmm. was describing, uh, the localization doesn't really matter if it's the function. Um, and yes, we know more. We more know more details, but his fundamental foundation hadn't changed. So. Uh, and my um, reason for writing the book was to put hope out into the world, like to say to people, hey, if you have these challenges mm -hmm. or difficulties, um, here's you know, a way to understand them, like to look at behavior through a cognitive lens and something can be done about them, right? And uh, yeah. so it, it uh, and I've now, updated it twice. So in December 2019 was the third edition with a new chapter on the research with some of the cases on wellness um, and, you know, number of uh, new case studies. So, yeah. That's great. So de definitely be sure to check out uh, those, those three books. And I mean, Barbara's book is amazing. Um, you know, I, I may encourage some to start there. Um, because that will give you such a keen insight into into Laurie as well. And then you want to dig a little bit deeper, you know, uh, definitely do it. Um, now, I've been fortunate enough to to know you for years, your mentor of mine. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, a, a great place to start is please, please just just go to Google and 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 Google, you know, Barbara Aerosmith Young TED Talk and just watch it because I think it really digs even a little bit deeper into your vision, you know, for the future. And, and it remains true today. And, and so much progress has been made in, in the, you know, 10, 11 years since that talk. Um, for those that are listening, though, and for those who don't yet know you, which I think will be only a few people listening here that don't already know of your work, uh, what, what's the best way to get in contact with you and learn more about you and support your work? So our website is really, really detailed. I mean, we're in the process of <laughs> redoing our website, but uh, so it's, it's uh, aerosmithprogram.ca. So I would encourage people to go on the website. All of the research is there. Like there's a research tab. So for research geeks that like research, um, do a deep dive. Mm -hmm. uh, we have research, you know, on individuals with acquired brain injury that we've worked with, with Mark, with ABI mm -hmm. Wellness and UBC. We have research 
uh, that we've done with students with learning difficulties. And we have research that we've done with just students in regular classes without learning difficulties. So that's there. And we also have um, videos of the researchers talking about their research. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's really interesting to hear like how they, how they describe that. Uh, we have lots of videos of people talking about the impact of the work on them. We have descriptions of the cognitive functions that we work on. So I'd say there's a wealth of, of knowledge mm -hmm. and information on, uh, you know, aerosmithprogram.ca. Uh, you know, people, um, you know, there, I think it's info at aerosmithprogram.ca that, you know, people can. Well, and, there, and there might be, you know, administrators that could be listening here saying, as you frame so well, you know, what about a brain-based approach to, to our learning strategies class? You know, if, 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 if that's a problem you're currently struggling with, you know, go over to, to Barbara's uh, webpage uh, and, and contact, contact your staff and learn more about the process. Because, you know, I think, you know, the, the team at Aerosmith is, is, is continually training, you know, uh, and certifying schools to take on this work. So if it's something that you, you, you're curious about, and you want to learn a little bit more, uh, you know, I encourage you to, to, to contact them and, and just learn a little bit more about the work. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I think it's well worth the conversation. So mm -hmm. I would strongly encourage, you know, those that are listening to, to do that. You know, uh, my mentor in this work um, did that. And, and I'm thankful that he did because he's really transformed um, the way in which, you know, I, but many people I work with, look at this work and that's because of your vision Barbara so and and also you know my mentor another one of my mentors Howard's um, you know vision and tenacity um, to support your work as well so any any kind of parting words that you'd like to leave for for people that are listening any kind of last final tidbits yeah well I think following up on just what you said like we're motivated to make this work accessible that that is our driving force like to transform lives worldwide through cognitive transformation and you know so join us like anybody that's listening as mark said you know if you're interested in you know the field with acquired brain injury traumatic brain injury you know reach out and contact mark if you're interested in the area of, of education and learning difficulties and just cognitive enhancement in education reach out to to my organization mm -hmm. um you know we want to transform the lives of people that predominantly are struggling for whether it's an acquired brain injury, traumatic brain injury, a learning difficulty. Um, you know, we're now doing an interesting uh, study with individuals with addiction um, uh, in Australia. I'm really excited to see, we're seeing anecdotal results, but you know, to look at the, the results. So I think this work fundamentally alleviates suffering. So join us to alleviate suffering. I love it. Well, thank you again, Barbara, for joining us. And, um, and I look forward to, to doing this again at some point soon. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Don't forget to check back for a new Brain Mastery segment every week. Here's a sneak peek of our next thought-provoking interview. So what's my main message? My main message is that uh, really in, in the world of brain health, I think it's important to understand that change is possible. And I think many people would, would argue that, and, and I don't think that's anything all that novel uh, for me to say. 
But I guess what I would want to add to that was that systems are available to help organizations that serve people to engage and improve. And our commitment is to make, you know, systems of care that are cloud-based and HIPAA compliant are available to help professionals, be it physiotherapists, occupational therapists, physiatrists, social workers, you know, and everything in between. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.